All right, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. I hope you have your Bible. Hope you have your pencil and paper and you're ready to take some notes tonight and uh, getting ready. We're going to try to finish up Acts chapter number 17. So you all know the drill. You know what to do right now. I want you to reach over. If you're watching by Facebook, make sure you hit the, uh, the, the share button so that, that we can let other people know about this Bible study and, and, and it will help us get the word out. But also comment on there that, that you're watching and where you're from. All right. I'm going to go check. I promise you, I check it every time. And this lets me know that you're here. Just encouragement from me. Okay. I'm preaching to an empty building. And so I need you to help me and just let me know you're out there and you're watching and uh, you're praying for me here this evening. All right. So grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter number 17. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 16. Let's go to verse 16 and then we'll come back and kind of do a a brief review and uh, and then go into the lesson today. All right. Acts uh, chapter 17 in verse number 16. It says, now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. Because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is, whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens... I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. Now, keeping that in mind, that they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath uh, ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them 
Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believe, among which are Dionysius the Arapagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Others with them. Let's take a moment and let's just pray that God will bless our uh, our study tonight as we try to finish chapter number seventeen. And and let's pray that God will bless our country and 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 bring us to the place that we need to be uh, throughout this time. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your blessings, your mercy, your kindness, and Lord, the privilege to be able to do what we get to do. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement you give us and the help you give us. Lord, speak to us tonight. Help us. I pray that you'll move on every person that's watching right now. As we're just going chapter by chapter through this book, Lord, it has been such a great encouragement and and Lord, so edifying to know what the apostle Paul did and how he operated and how we should be missionaries just like him. And Lord, I pray that your perfect will be done. Bless all those that are watching. I pray that you'll touch them, encourage them, strengthen them. Lord, be with our leadership, be with our president. Uh, Lord, I pray that you will instill wisdom in him. Give him the the knowledge he needs and the wisdom. Uh, Put the people around him that need to be around him to help make good decisions. God, I pray for our country. I pray not just for a recovery. I pray for our eyes to be open to you and that you are our priority and you are our greatest need. And I pray that your perfect will be done tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you say amen right where you are. Uh, let's do let's do just a small brief review of Acts chapter number 17. Now, we told you uh, there are three primary cities that, that the, the writer kind of gives you a snapshot of each one. First is Thessalonica. Then we have Berea and then we have Athens. And we covered last week, we covered Thessalonica and Berea. And, and there was so much here with with uh, Athens and, and the, the sermon on Mars Hill that we wanted to keep it separate and we would do that tonight. But but as we covered Thessalonica, we found that that Paul went and he did his normal thing. He'd go to the synagogue and he began there and he would go from there and he got run out of Thessalonica. Then he got run out of Berea. Uh, uh, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because uh, uh, instead of ridiculing the word, uh, uh, they were receiving the word and they, they took it as it was coming from God. And uh, they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so what Paul was saying. And that's a great encouragement. I'd like for everybody to do that. Uh, But now we find Paul in Athens. He's been run out of Thessalonica, went to uh, Berea. He's run out of Berea. And now he is alone waiting on his, his partners to come. And he's here in Athens and, uh, and, and there are things going on. And this is what I want to do tonight. I want to, uh, Lord's willing, uh, kind of do a, a running commentary down through the verses uh, till we get to the sermon at Mars Hill, and then we'll take the outline from the sermon. But let's just kind of let's just kind of talk about what's going on. We'll go down through the verses, and and like I said, just comment on it and and, and talk about it, and then we will go and digest and really discuss the sermon. It is unbelievable. It is a masterpiece in communication. Uh, where Paul, he reaches these people right where they are. He gives them the truth and the content they need to hear. And then he challenges them at the end. He always brings them to a decision that they need to make a decision. He basically, he basically tells them, uh, uh who God is, uh, what God did 
and what God wants. And that's, that's very important for all of us to know. But as we say, let's go through the verses and, and then we'll get to the, the sermon at Mars Hill. All right. Verse number 16. <clears throat> now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. His spirit was stirred in him. This was the same word that was used back when Barnabas and Paul uh, had a sharp disagreement. It was a, it was a heated situation. In other words, Paul is not just bothered by this. It really bothers him. It, it, it has it has stirred him up from the inside, almost to the point of righteous indignation. And he's angry because of all the idolatry. Look what it says. It says when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now, let, let me let me let you listen to this in Athens. At that particular time in Athens, it was the philosophical center of the ancient world and was the home of the world's most famous university. Athens was also a religious center where almost now think about this. Almost every God in existence was worshipped in Athens. The pagan writer uh, Petronius sarcastically quipped that it was easier to find a God in Athens than a man. Every public building was dedicated to a God and the city was full of statues of false gods. So this is what Paul is experiencing. This is what Paul is seeing as he's staying in the city, as he goes to the synagogue and he goes to the marketplace all around him. He sees nothing but false gods, uh, unbelievable amounts of idolatry. And it bothers him. It stirs him up from the inside. So he begins his pattern that he normally does. He goes to the synagogue first. Look what it says. It says in verse 17, therefore disputed and the word disputed, uh, means to oppose. He comes against it. He begins to refer to it and deal with the idolatry by the truth he brings. He disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons that are there and in the marketplaces daily with them that met with him. So what would he do? He would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he would, he would share the gospel, share the truth there, but then he would go to the marketplace. And, and according to the wording, he just talked to whoever was there, whoever happened to be there, whoever happened to stop long enough to listen to him. He didn't care. He didn't mind. It didn't matter who it was to him. He shared truth and he began to dialogue with them and talk with them and share the gospel with them. Now that attracted attention. That attracted attention. This is something new. This is something a stranger is in town talking uh, all kind of new stuff. And, and it attracted attention from two particular groups of people. These were the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, let me read you a little something about that. Warren Wiersbe, he writes in his commentary. He said, Paul had to confront two opposing philosophies. Remember, this whole city was eat up and centered around philosophy and the, and the, uh, uh, the, 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 the striving in the, uh, the fight to find truth. And, and, and we see there's two confronting, two opposing philosophies as he witnessed in Athens. Those are the Epicureans and the Stoics. We today, now let's see, he describes them. He said, we today associate the word Epicurean with the pursuit of pleasure and the love of fine living especially fine food. But the Epicurean philosophy involved much more than that. In one sense, the founder Epicurus was an ex existentialist in that he sought truth by means of personal experience, not through reasoning. The Epicureans, watch this, watch this. 
The Epicureans were materialists and atheists and their goal in life was pleasure. In other words, pleasure was their God. Kind of sounds like some Americans, right? It says to some pleasure meant that which was grossly physical, but to others, it meant a life of refined serenity, free from pain and anxiety. The true Epicurean avoided extremes and sought to enjoy life by keeping things in balance. But pleasure was still the number one goal. So basically they were atheists and in pleasure, the finding and the experiencing of pleasure was what they sought after is what they pursued. It was basically their God, what they worship. But the Stoics were on the opposite extreme. They rejected the idolatry of pagan worship and taught that there was one world God. In other words, the world was God, mother earth. You know, everything is God. Everything that you see is God. Uh, They were pantheists and their emphasis was on a personal discipline and self-control. Pleasure, like, like the Epicureans, was not good and pain was not evil. The most important thing in life was to follow one's reason and to be self-sufficient, unmoved by the inner feelings or outward circumstances. Of course, such a philosophy only fanned the flames of pride and taught men that they did not need the help of God. It is interesting that the first two leaders of the Stoic school committed suicide. The Epicureans, watch this, the Epicureans said, enjoy life. The Stoics on this side said, no, you endure life. But (laughs) Paul is trying to explain how they could actually have life through Jesus who is life. He is our life. So you have this group over here saying pleasure's God then, and, and, and all that, that there is is to enjoy what's around you, enjoy life. Then the Stoics over here saying everything is about enduring life and, and getting to a place where you, you are not affected by anything. You're not affected by pleasure and you're not affected by pain. You really have no feeling. And so they confront Paul. And they're, they're discussing uh, what he has been teaching. They are discussing uh, 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 his message, his sermon. It says in verse number 18, it says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Now, now <laughs> that word babbler, it, mean, it, it, it literally means seed picker. Okay? Seed picker. Imagine... Imagine uh, a, a bird in a barnyard uh, going around in the yard and picking up seeds, picking up pieces here, picking up pieces there. Basically, what they're saying and they're accusing Paul is he's just getting, he's just going around to different people and, and different religions and picking off a little bit of here and a little bit of there and, and, and bringing all these different pieces and putting it in one deal and making it his own thought and saying it's this some deep uh, some deep truth or some deep philosophy. And, and it's a real, it's a, it's a real, uh, offensive criticism of Christianity's greatest missionary. Look what it says. He, he's just a seed picker. Basically he's copying what everybody else is saying. What will this babbler say? Others said he seemeth to be set forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Some say, well, he's just adding to the gods that's already here. And so they took him and brought him unto the 
Areopagus. All right. Now, what is that? This was the high court of Athens. This was the place uh, that was responsible for controlling the culture, controlling the religion of Athens, controlling the teaching going on in Athens. So it would be uh, just a natural thing for them to be concerned about what Paul is teaching uh, there in the marketplace with the, the general public. So they asked him, this was not an official deal. This was a, we want to know more about what you're saying. Come share with us. Uh, we're curious about your message. May we know, verse 19, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but to either tell or to hear some new thing. So here's here's our outline. Let's get to our outline. Then Paul stood in the middle of Mars Hill. And said, all right, now the sermon begins, okay? Now he, he has his opportunity. He has his congregation. Uh, Mars Hill is basically a rock. I think they have a picture of it. I don't, I don't know if they gave that to you. Uh, uh, but there is a, a rock jutting out. Uh, and, and keep in mind, keep in mind that while he's standing on this rock delivering this sermon, delivering the truth and answering uh, the accusations before him, uh, there are there are idols everywhere. There are false god temples everywhere around him. So he is a he is basically a, a shining light in a very dark place. But that's got to stay in your mind as we go through this, because what's going to happen is he's going to pick them off and he's going to deal with the idolatry around him through the sermon. Now, just like any good preacher is like any good teacher. He captures their attention first. Uh, he kind of uh, 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 somewhat compliments them uh, and, and, and addresses their uh, uh, seriousness when it comes to religion and, and that type of thing. Uh, but he, he, gasps, he grasps their attention and he begins. Now, now, keep in mind, keep in mind the difference that you see in this approach and the approach he would always make in the synagogue. When he would go to the Jews, when he would go to the Jews in the synagogues, he would always go to the Old Testament scriptures. He would go to what was familiar with the Jewish people and he would deal with the covenant. He would deal with the promise of the Messiah and he would bring the people to Jesus through the Old Testament scriptures and through the promises given in God's word, because that's what was familiar to them. But watch, he does something different here when he deals with the Gentiles. And he deals with people that have no clue about the scriptures and have no clue about the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament uh, covenants and, and, and truths. He, he goes on a, a totally different deal. And I'll show you why. All right. Now, let's look. Verse 22. <clears throat> then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Now, the word superstitious means uh, very, very religious, very, very religious. It's not like superstitious as if uh, we're, we're, we're fearful of a black cat or breaking a mirror at that time. It is, he is saying you're very devoted to your religions. You're very devoted to your idols and to your your beliefs and, and uh, your traditions. He said, for as I passed by. I beheld your devotions and in the word devotions, there is the things that they were worshiping their art, their altars, their statues, their gods, uh, all of these that are here that's represented. 
Now, remember what we said earlier. Remember what we said earlier that there were one, one writer, he jokingly said that they were, it was easier to find a God in Athens than it was a man because there were so many gods and so many uh, deities that were worshiped. And, and so he's saying, I'm, I'm looking at all these uh, plaques and I'm looking at all these altars and I'm looking at all these places of worship. And he said, I come across the one that intrigued me. I come across the one uh, and, and that's the one I want to talk about. Look what he, look what he says. He says, I came across one and I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. To the unknown God. In other words, these folks were so religious and they were so superstitious. They were so uh, 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 intent on worshiping gods. They wanted to make an altar for one just in case they had left them out. And so they didn't want to leave anybody out. And so they have this altar to the God that we don't know about. And you know what Paul said? That's the one I want to tell you about. I want to talk to you about the one you don't know. It says, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him declare I unto you. Now the word ignorantly, uh, it means without knowledge. It means without understanding, without instruction. In other words, he's saying, I want to talk to you. And the one I've been preaching about and teaching about, I want to talk to you about the one you don't know, the unknown God, the one you've never been instructed about. You don't have any knowledge about. You don't have any understanding about. That's the one I want to share with you. And so in the next however much time we have left, let's do that. Let's talk about the unknown God. And, 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 and the reason we need to do this is because we have a country here in America that was founded on Christian principles and, 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 and religious freedom that has somehow gotten to a place where they don't know God. They're worshiping the gods that they've created. Uh, people today, uh, they'll say, well, my God or, or my Jesus is like such and such and such and such. Well, the, the, you judgmental Christians and you judgmental preachers and you talk about God is this and, and God is that. Well, my God, well, you don't get that opportunity. And you don't get the privilege to decide who God is or what God is. He is who he is. You can't make him according to your fashion. You can't make him according to your pattern. You can't decide. You can't decide what he likes and what he don't like. He is God and there is none other. You say well, you're being awful narrow minded about as narrow minded is the book, the word of God, the Bible. The only thing we know about God is from the Bible, not man's opinions, not man's theories, but what God's word says. So I want to declare unto everybody that's watching the unknown God. God is God. And Paul says, let me tell you about him. So let's do that. Let's do that. First, I want you to see, what does he share? Verse 24. He said, this God that you don't know, God that made the world and all things therein. Verse 24, by the way, if you're following along. Verse 24. Let me go back to verse 23 and we'll go into 24, okay? For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship." Him I declare unto you, God that made, now watch how he said that. He didn't say one of them. He said God. He said God. He declared that God is. He said God that made the world and all things therein, 
Seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed it. Now keep in mind, keep in mind, there are temples everywhere. And there are statues everywhere. There are places that were dedicated to certain gods and, and were supposed to house and hold these gods all around him. He said, well, the God I'm telling you about, I want to, I want to tell you about his greatness. Write that down if you're taking notes. I want you to see his greatness, the greatness of God. And he talks about his creativity and his creative power. Are y'all with me? He's great because he's the creator. Look what he says. Verse number 24. God that made the world and all things therein. Doesn't that kind of sound like Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Paul is saying, let me tell you something. He is the creator. He is the maker of all things. This God that you are ignorantly bowing down to, this God that you have a, you have an altar to that you don't even know. He is the God of creation. He is the God who has made everything. Now, why did he start there? Why did he start there? He didn't start with Old Testament scriptures. He didn't start with a covenant. He didn't start with a promise to Abraham. He didn't start with uh, quotations from the prophets. Just like he normally did in the synagogue, just like he normally did with the Jewish people. What did he start with? He started with creation. When he dealt with the Gentiles, when he dealt with this group of people who had no knowledge of the scriptures, had no knowledge of the promises, had no knowledge of Abraham, Isaac or Jacob, had no knowledge of David or the covenants. What did he start with? How did he, how did he attack? And, 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 and I say attack, how did he approach them in order to bring them to Jesus? Now, Paul would always use the old Testament scriptures to bring the Jews to Jesus, but now he's bringing creation and he starts with creation to bring people to Jesus. Why? Let me show you. Let me show you. Look what the, look what the word says. Psalms 19 Psalms 19 says the heavens, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Did you hear that? The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. Watch this. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. You know what he's saying? He's saying when you look at the stars and the moon and the sky and you look at the heavens and you look at the earth, you look at his creation. They are shouting that there is a God. They are declaring God's glory. They are declaring God's existence. They are declaring the glory of God. Say amen, church, right where you are. And there's no language on earth. There's no people on earth that cannot see that and understand that there is a creator. So he starts there. Watch this. I got more. Watch what it says. Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 20. Now, if that's the case... If, if all of creation is declaring the glory of God and declaring and providing evidence that there is a God and there is a creator, watch, if that's the case, Romans 1, 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, that's creation, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that by they, or so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse. What is he, what is he doing? He's bringing in the proof that God is. The stars says there's a God. The sky says there's a God. The heavens, the sun, the moon, the planets says and declares the glory and the majesty and the power of a creating God. And so he brings that to the, he starts there. He starts with the beginning of their existence. Basically what he just did, he told them how they got here. You know, that's, that's a, that's a question that most people are trying everywhere in the world to find. How did we get here? What are we doing here? Where are we going? And Paul is answering these questions for these philosophers. He said, God created all things. And so he is declaring the greatness of God. In his sermon, he starts with the greatness of God by by teaching and explaining he's the creator. We not only see the greatness of God in his creative ability, but then we see in his controlling authority. Write that down. His controlling authority. Now, for everybody's taking notes, <clears throat> for everybody's taking notes, my wife instructed me that I'm going way too fast and she, 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 she wasn't being able to keep up writing these notes down. And, and so uh, these are available, okay? Uh, all you got to do is let us know and we'll, we'll have these printed out for you. Uh, so if I'm going too fast and you don't have where you can just fill in the blank like normal, uh, don't sweat that. Do the best you can and, and, and just let me know and I'll make sure you get a copy, all right? So you can thank Miss Tammy for that, all right? Now, we see the greatness of God in his creative ability. Look what he says. God that made... The world and all things therein. Watch this now, second part. Seeing that he is, what's that word? Lord. Seeing that he is Lord. What is that? That's his controlling authority. The word Lord means supreme authority. It means he's the boss. In other words, and I remember, he's, he's, he's explaining to this group who this unknown God is. He is the God of creation. He's the God that made everything. He's the God that puts you here on this planet. This is where you come from. And not only, not only is he the creator, he is Lord. He is the boss. All right. Look what it says. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Deuteronomy 10, 14, behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is first Chronicles 29, 11. thine O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Watch this for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom O Lord and thou art exalted as head above all. What's he saying? Everything he sees is. Everything belongs to God. Every star belongs to God. Every planet belongs to God. The sun belongs to God. The earth belongs to God. The trees belong to God. The mountains belong to God. Everything in existence belongs to God. He is the creator and he is Lord. He is in charge. He is the boss. 
Now I know what you're thinking. Oh, preacher, this, this virus going around. What's happened? Is God taking a break? Has God gone on vacation? Has God lost his power? Ladies and gentlemen, let me state this as a matter of fact. God is still in control. He is still the boss. He is still on the throne. He still knows what he's doing. He has never abdicated his throne. He has never taken a step back. He has never taken a minute off. He is in control. He is God. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. He is Lord. And we better get it in our heads and we better get it in our hearts and understand that he is God and there is no other. He will do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And we have to know he's God and trust him. Trust him. Paul is telling this group of people, hey, God is powerful and he's declaring his greatness by talking about the creative ability of God. But not only that, but the controlling authority. What is he doing? He's telling who God is before he goes into anything else. He's telling who God is. He's a creator and he's the boss. That's basic. I mean, if you want to just get down to simplest terms, he made us and he's in charge. Okay. Say that at home. He made us and he's in charge. He made everything and he's the boss of everything. He made us. He's the creator and he's in charge. See, before he, before he says what God expects out of us and before he says what God did for us and before he says what God wants from us, he says, this is God. This is him. He's the creator and he's in charge. He's the boss. He is Lord of all. Now, secondly, write this down. Write this down. Not only is we see, is we see, do we see the greatness of God, verse 24, but we see the goodness of God, verse 25. The goodness of God. What a great sermon. We hear the goodness of God and the greatness of God. Look at the goodness of God, verse 25. He says, neither is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. Do you see that? Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life, breath, and all things. Now, what do we see in the goodness of God? Well, God is good, A, if you're taking notes, in the privilege he allows. Write that down. In the privilege that he allows. God, now watch this. Now watch this. Stay with me. Stay with me. Paul is saying that the God, the true God, the great God that I serve and, 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 and I'm telling you about this, Paul saying this, he don't need anything like all your puny gods need around what I'm looking at. He don't need these buildings. He don't need these statues. He don't need all these things that people are, he, he doesn't need anything. How is that a privilege for us? You got to get this. God is great and he doesn't need us. He wants us. He desires and has chosen us to worship him and to serve him and to be a blessing to him. Listen, if we drop dead tomorrow, it's not going to take away from God one ounce and one bit. If we stop praying, if we stop tithing, if we stop serving, if we start blessing, if we start uh, uh, serving in a way and honoring and praising him, you know what Jesus said? The rocks would cry out. 
We're not going to hinder God one bit. God is not going to cease to be God no matter. And people say, oh, the churches, the churches, they're in trouble. Oh, uh, listen, God is going to listen. It don't matter if every church in America, every church in this world crumbles to the ground. God will still be God. God will still be God. But I'm glad even though God doesn't need us, God wants us. And he has chosen us and he desires to have a relationship with us and to be, listen, in, in a place of uh, a, a father and child relationship. Thank God for that privilege. Paul says, man, the goodness of God, he doesn't need us, but he wants us. He desires us. Now, look, look what it says. Let's keep reading. It says he doesn't need these things that you see. He says, but look what happens. Verse 25, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Look what it says. Not only do we see the privilege he allows, but the provision, the provision he affords. What does he provide? He provides life. He provides breath. He provides all things, everything. If you got it, he gave it to you. Job said it best, better than anybody. He said, naked came I into this world and naked shall I return. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. He said, if I got it, the Lord gave it to me. If I don't have it, the Lord took it away. Everything I have is from the Lord. And boy, I tell you what, if we could get that, do you know how that would help our contentment level? Do you know how it would help? uh, Listen, the way we think about things and the way we operate, even in this pandemic, if we would just understand that God is the boss, God is the creator, God is in control. And if we got it, he gave it to us. And if he decides we don't need it, he can take it from us. But whatever we have, God done it. What a good God. He said he's provided us life and breath and what? All things. Let me read this. Let me read this. Men, this is Warren Wearsby. This is Warren Wearsby. Men may pride themselves in serving God, but it is truly God who serves man. If God is good, then he is self-sufficient and needs nothing that man can supply. Not only do the temples not contain God, but the services in the temples add nothing to God. In two brief statements, Paul completely wiped out the entire religious system of all of Greece. What's the point? What's the point? What do you mean God's serving us? Is he our servant? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying we're not doing good for God. God's doing good for us. I I, I heard this said one time. Excuse me. I heard this said one time. If you stick your hand in a bucket of water and you draw out that hand, the hole that you leave is the amount that God needs you. God is self-sufficient all by himself. He is God with us or without us. But thank God, God has chosen to listen, to receive us and bring us into his fellowship and bring us into his family. And it's not that I do anything for God. It's that God does everything for us. Don't ever think you're doing God a favor by doing anything. Don't think you're doing God a favor by showing up to church if we ever get to do that again in in the near future. Thank God that's going to be a possibility. 
Uh, Listen, you're not doing God a favor by helping the poor. You're not doing God a favor by giving an offering. You're not doing God a favor. God is God regardless of anything you do. But I promise you this, God is everything to you. Your breath in your lungs, God gave it to you. Everything that you have, all the resources, all things God has given to you. Can you agree with me now in this point in this sermon that God is good? Say it with me. God is good all the time. Say it again. God is good all the time. Paul says, let me tell you about the greatness of God. He's the creator and he's the boss. Not only is he the creator and he the boss, but let me tell you something. God is good. God is a good God who's provided us everything. He's provided the air that we breathe. He's provided the resources that we have. He's provided all things that we are in and and we stand in need of. He's a provider and he's privileged us. He's privileged us to have a relationship with him. Then number three, number three, look what he says. Let's keep reading. It says in, in verse 26, And he has made of one blood, he has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined, hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. So we see the greatness of God. We see the goodness of God. Number three, we see the government of God. Write that down. The government of God. How do we see that? And where do we see that? We see it in his design. Write that down. We see the government of God, the controlling factor, the controlling aspect of God in his government. How do we see it? In his design. Look what it says. He says he hath made of one blood or one man all nations. In other words, everybody came from Adam. That's basically what he's saying. Everybody came from the same thing, the same person, the same blood, the same man. Now that was devastating to the Greeks because they believed that their society was so much higher and they were on a higher plane and a higher echelon of everybody else. Everybody else was barbarians. That's kind of like some people today, racist today, think they're better than somebody else because of the color of their skin. Hogwash. We all, say it with me, we all came from Adam. Adam. It was God's design. This is his government. He did it. He chose to do it. Malachi 2.10. Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? By profaning the covenant of our fathers. He said, have we not all one father? Psalms 103. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He designed it that way. We see the government of God in his design. Watch this now. This is important. We see the government of God in his design and in his determination. What did he determine? Look what it says. And hath determined, in other words, it was his decision. He decided it. He determined it. He determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord. Two things, two things. The placing of man, the placing of man, number one, and the purpose of man. He says the bounds of their habitation. He determined, he determined where everybody's going to live. He determined who was going to be Chinese. He determined who was going to be Korean. 
He determined who was going to be Russian. He determined who was going to be uh, uh, American. He determined who was going to be South American. He determined uh, who was going to be Russian. God determined that. Whatever you are, God determined it. Whoever you are, God determined it. Listen, God decided who would be who, who they would be, where they would be. He decided it all. He basically, he's saying you're Greek because God decided that. He, uh, Paul is a, 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 a Jew with a Roman citizenship because God decided that. Whatever you are, it's because God determined it. He is in charge. He is the controller. He's the governor. The government of God we see in his determination. He determined the place of man. In other words, where they would come from, where they would be. But then here's the most important thing, that they would seek the Lord. That's man's purpose. It doesn't matter where you're from. God's determined for you to seek him. It doesn't matter who you are. God's determined for you to seek him. It doesn't matter what your background is. God's determined for you to seek him. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to be your pride. He wants himself to be your priority. They asked Jesus. They asked Jesus, what's what's the number one commandment? He said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. Love him. He's got to be priority in your life. Seek him. So what, what, what has Paul done so far in this sermon? First, he said how great he is. And he said he's the, he's the beginning of everything. He's a creator. He's where we come from. He's where we come from. And, and so that's where we come from. He said he is not only great, he's good because he's the, he, has, he has decided for us to have relationship with him. And, and he says now he is determined for us to seek him. So that's why we're here. That's why we're here to seek God, to seek and have a relationship with him. Seek and ye shall find. But the problem is everybody's seeking in the wrong area. Everybody's seeking in the wrong place. They're trying to find God in, in, in religion. They're trying to find God in, 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 well, let's just say peace. Let's say they're trying to find peace. They're trying to find truth. In, in, in all kind of places that this world's offering, but they're not seeking the one true God. But he can be found if they will seek him. God will provide. If you are a true heart and you're truly seeking God, he will make sure that someone will cross your path to lead you to himself. Listen, we see the government of God in his design. We see the government of God in his determination. He determined the placing of man, where we are and where we come from. He determined the purpose of man, that they should seek the Lord. Now, this is the best one out of all of them. Number four, we see the grace of God. The grace of God. Look what he says. He says in verse 28, for in him. And by the way, in this verse, he's quoting two different uh, 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 two different poets that they would be uh, most familiar with. So he's, he's, he's addressing them on their plane. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. For as much then, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that God, the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by the, what is he doing? He's standing in the middle of all of these temples and all of these idols and all these false gods made of silver, gold and all this other stuff and said, It's ridiculous to think that God is in any of this stuff. None of this is God. It would be foolish to think that way. That's what he's saying. 
For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, stone, graven by the art, graven by art and man's device. Now watch this, verse 30. Here it is. He's fixing to draw it. He, here's the conclusion. Here's the conclusion. Here's the sermon. He's going he's to punch him in the face right here. He's going to draw him to a decision. He says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at. In other words, God was patiently waiting. God was forbearing. He held back his judgment. The times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day. This is what he's been holding back. This is what he's been stalling. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world. So he hadn't done that yet. He's judged certain societies and he's judged certain individuals, but he hasn't judged. He's held that back. He's winked at it. He's, he's with, withdrawn and he's held patiently. He's held back judgment upon the whole world. But there's coming a day that he's going to judge the world in righteousness by that man. Now he brings in Jesus by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. Now he's bringing in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Two things I want you to see here. We not only see the, the greatness of God, we see the goodness of God. And we see the government of God. But now we see the grace of God. The grace of God in two things. Two things. We see the grace of God by the mercy he showed. He said God patiently waited. God has, has patiently and had mercy and did not drop the hammer and, and judge the whole world. He, he, has, he has patiently forbeared. But now that his son has come. Listen. It's time to repent. It's time to turn back to God. We see the mercy he showed. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Romans 2, 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The reason he has shown such mercy and shown such forbearance and long suffering. He wants people to be saved. He wants people to come to know Christ and be delivered. We see the grace of God in the mercy he showed. But then in the man that he sent. That man that is spoken of in verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man. Whom he hath ordained. What man? The man that he raised from the dead. The Lord Jesus. Acts 4, 10 and 12. I love this. It says, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom ye crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. Even by him does this man stand before you whole. Verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Listen, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Acts 5.30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So what did he do? What did he do? Let me just put it this way and we'll pray. 
When he would go in the synagogues and deal with the Jewish people, he would deal with what they were familiar with. He would take the Old Testament scriptures and bring them and prove and show and reason with them that this man, Jesus, who was crucified on a Roman cross and put in the tomb, he rose again. He was resurrected. And that man is the Messiah. But what he did here with the uh, Athenians is he started with creation. He started with the very thing that testifies that there is a God and the God. The creator God who made heaven and earth. This creator God is Lord. He is the boss. He is in charge. Everything that we see belongs to him. And this is what the God who created this earth. He has determined who we are and what he expects out of us. He expects us to seek him. He expects us to love him. He expects us to come to him. And he's provided a way for us to come to him. And that's through his son. Now, for all this time, he's had mercy and he's shown forbearance and long suffering, but it's time to repent. It's time to turn from your sin. It's time to turn from your rebellion. It's time to turn from your ignorance, your ignorance. You didn't know before, but now, you know, God is going to judge this world by this man who rose from the dead. You see, Jesus is going to be on the throne. He's going to reign out of Jerusalem. Listen, I don't know if you're paying attention, but we're in the last days. Everything is rounding up. Everything is coming to pass. Everything is following up to the Lord's return. And one day he's going to sit on a throne of judgment and he's going to judge everyone who's not repented and come to him for forgiveness. All the Athenians, you need to know this God. Now watch at the response. Look at the response. And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. We have that today. There's probably going to be people. There's probably going to be people that see this broadcast and, 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 and maybe through social media. And when they hear what I'm saying, they're just going to mock and make fun. Some mocked and others said they were curious. There's going to be some out there that's curious. Hmm. Let me hear some more about that. We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. How be it certain men clave unto him and believed. I hope some of you do tonight. You believed among them was Dionysius, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Let me tell you something. Paul was fearless in preaching the gospel. He came at them in a different way. With the Old Testament and the, and the Jews in the synagogue, you take the Old Testament scriptures and bring them to Jesus. But with these Athenians, he started with creation and brought them to Jesus. I hope you know Jesus tonight. I, I truly do. Man, if there was ever a time that you need to know him is right now. If you don't know him, if you don't know him, let me tell you what the scriptures say. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody sinned. Everybody has fallen short. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's nobody good enough to get into heaven. There's nobody who's earned their way. You can't earn your way. It's impossible. And the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. You see, sin has to be paid for. Sin has to be paid for. It has to be dealt with. 
But the good news is that in, in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The people that Paul, listen, the, the person that Paul was sharing with the Athenians, the Lord Jesus Christ, he died so you didn't have to. God's son, Jesus Christ, died on a cross so you didn't have to. He not only died for you, he died instead of you. And, and this is what it says. It says that if we'll call upon him and if we'll confess him as Lord and we'll believe that he died and rose again, we will be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What does that mean? Let me just simplest way. It's no, it's, it's no formula that you say with your mouth. You're believing in your heart that Jesus is God's son. You're believing in your heart with all your heart that Jesus died. He was crucified and he was buried and he rose again and he will forgive you if you ask him. If you'll believe that with all of your heart, he says, and you confess him as Lord, repent and turn to him. He will save you tonight. 